I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Montalino Mama. Welcome back to another episode of Multilingual Mamas. Today, we actually have with us our first multilingual dad, Dan Olson, who, in addition to being a dad, is also an associate professor of Spanish and linguistics at Purdue University in Indiana. So, hey, Dan, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me, and I'm happy to represent all the the multilingual dads out there doing their part, so thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, so first, can you just tell us a little bit about your own language background, what languages you speak and uh, how you learned them? Yeah, so I was born in Wisconsin uh, to a very multilingual or a very monolingual family. And I grew up in Ohio in a very monolingual community. I learned English until uh, until basically high school in which I started taking Spanish. Um, I took Spanish all through college as an undergraduate, and it wasn't really until I started making Spanish-speaking friends and had the, the opportunity to travel places that were Spanish-speaking that I really started to develop my Spanish. From there, I went to Texas. I spent a year living in Texas, working with Habitat for Humanity, um, and that really, you know, pushed me in the direction that I, I research and teach right now, which was, you know, about bilingualism and Spanish-English sort of switching. Um, and so that was really an important experience for me to live in Texas. And then after that, I worked for a year in Spain, and I spent a couple of years living in Spain. And now I consider myself to be bilingual, but I'm definitely what we would call a late bilingual, that I learned Spanish later in life. So can you tell us a little bit about your family members, their ages, what languages they speak? Yeah, so in my family, there are four of us. Uh, my wife, Lori, is also a professor of Spanish and linguistics. Um, and we have two daughters. Uh, Maya is four. And we just had a baby four months ago. Lucy is four months old. Lori grew up, her language background is pretty similar to mine, that she grew up in Illinois in an English-speaking household and really started learning Spanish in high school and college. Um, she actually did her first year of college in Venezuela, and so that sort of jumped in with both feet. Um, and Maya is bilingual, we would say. Uh, at home, our home language is mostly Spanish, and so Maya prefers Spanish at this point. And little Lucy, um, she's just at the squeaking and babbling stage, but um, she definitely gets more input in Spanish right now than she does in, in English. So you touched on it a little bit, um, but can you describe in more detail what your family language practices are, if that's different at home, in public, in different contexts, and then how you came to those decisions? Yeah, um, so that's a good question. So our language practices currently are we in, we try to speak mostly Spanish at home. Um, it's kind of weird because my wife and I are both native English speakers. And so we had been together 10 years before we had a kid. We spoke English together for 10 years. And then we had this kid and we made the decision, oh, we should try and teach our child Spanish. Um, so my wife and I speak English to each other, but we both speak Spanish to our daughter, Maya. Um, but when the three of us are sitting around having dinner, if it's a parent-oriented topic, we speak English. And if it's a child-oriented topic, we speak Spanish. If Maya complains and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Then we'll switch into Spanish for her, et cetera. Um, and the question of how did we come to these decisions, uh, I think 
you know, a lot of parents just say like, well, you know, it was natural and we wanted my child to be able to speak with her grandparents in this language. And that's not our case. Um, we are both native English speakers and we're both linguists. And so the decision to speak Spanish to our child was sort of something that we approached. It was a lot of conversations over various months while Lori was pregnant and what will we do? And we kind of came to the conclusion that Lori would speak Spanish with our children and I would speak bilingually with the children. That was our decision. The baby was born and really we've all defaulted to Spanish uh, in the house. So yeah, that's interesting. It doesn't always go exactly as you planned, even as a linguist. <laughs> right, exactly, which is fine, right? Like we know that there's a whole lot of different ways that people and kids learn languages. So however it worked out for us and however it worked out for, for your listeners is probably just fine, right? Right, and I really like the the fact that you guys are still talking to each other in English because it's natural and it just you can switch that overnight. Whatever language you have with your spouse or your partner, that's really hard to switch for this kind of linguistic practices to to work. So I'm really I'm I'm glad that you mentioned this. Yeah, and and I think that the idea, at least for our family, of this relationship in English and this relationship in Spanish is really great on paper, but when it comes down to it in practice there's more mixing than I thought there would be, right? Um, you know, I look, at, I look at my daughter, Maya, who even as we play make-believe, when she plays make-believe one of her English-speaking friends, she'll speak in English. And when she play make-believes one of her Spanish-speaking friends, then she'll speak Spanish. She chooses that language at the, at the appropriate time, essentially. So um, we kind of follow her lead, but we push Spanish more in the house when we can. And would you say that you try to stick to that in public as well? Uh, yeah, I would say that largely we default to Spanish in public. Um, but I think that I should admit that we have some sort of privilege here, which um, we are we are a white family teaching our child the minority language. You know, we live in Indiana. It's very English dominant here. And the experience that we have mostly, so when I'm out with Maya at the grocery store and I speak to her in Spanish, people will say, Oh, what language are you speaking? Oh, that's so great. Like, I, it's really amazing that you're teaching your kids Spanish. Yeah. And I know that this is not always the experience for brown families speaking a minority language, right? So we do default to Spanish in public, but there is some privilege associated with that. And, and I kind of recognize that at this stage. So let me follow up on that, because that was going to be my question. Um, have you ever encountered this interaction that you just uh, described but with a Spanish speaker, for instance? has um, Have you come across someone who's a Spanish speaker in the supermarket, and they have seen you speak Spanish to your daughter, and they have asked you, oh, you speak Spanish really well, or something along those lines? Yeah, so actually... Um... One experience that I really remember and my daughter really remembers is we went to a local Mexican restaurant. It's a place that we go frequently. And there were three families in there, uh, two families who are sort of Latino looking families and my family that is not. And the waitress went to both Latino families and, and addressed them in Spanish, etc. And then she came to our table and she addressed us in English. And my daughter really likes to order her own food. It's like a big thing and her Spanish is better. So she orders in Spanish and the waitress answered her in English. And then she ordered again in Spanish and the waitress answered her in English. And then as the waitress walked away, she said, my daughter said to, uh, to me, you know, why did the waitress speak Spanish to those families, but English to us? 
-hmm. And so we had some sort of a discussion about, you know, in our community, English is the default. So when you meet somebody new, you kind of have to guess what language they're going to be most comfortable in. And by looking at our family and thinking about all the people who come to a restaurant, she decided that English was probably best for us. But by the end of our meal, the waitress was happy to speak Spanish to us. And we get this, oh, you know, where are you guys from? Why do you speak Spanish? Your, her Spanish is so good, et cetera, right? Um, but I think that, you know, even, even kids at the age of three or four are aware of these sort of social differences and who speaks which language and where you speak which language, et cetera. Absolutely. Wow. Good explanation for Maya. Yeah, uh, it's something like we we try and incorporate as part of our dialogue, right? Like we know that language in this area, language is associated with other things. We're not just talking about language. We're talking about language and culture and race. And the, they're big topics for a little kid. So you kind of present it in the right way. But it shouldn't be a surprise when you go to school or go out into the world that that these things kind of correlate together. Yeah. Don't shy away from that reality. Do you guys do anything else to expose your girls to Spanish? You know, books, travel, special classes? Yeah, so we have taken the approach that amongst our family values, language is a really important one. Um, you know, my wife and I had to work very hard to learn Spanish and to get to the level, you know, we both operate sort of professionally in Spanish. We present at conferences, we teach, et cetera, all in Spanish. And it was a lot of work to get there. So we have tried to give our daughters really as much input and we've privileged Spanish input as much as we can. So um, we had a research leave. So basically six months that we were able to not teach and we were to sort of work on our research for, for um, our jobs at the university. And we chose to go to Spain because it was Spanish speaking. And we put Maya in a Spanish speaking daycare when she was about 18 months. And then we also had the opportunity to have um, you know, parental leave. When we were on parental leave, Maya was four months old. We took her to Spain. Um, last year, we spent about six months in Mexico. So we have decided when we have the opportunity to travel, we try and travel places that are Spanish speaking. Um, we also have, in, in our area, there aren't any bilingual daycares. Um, and so we have decided to have a nanny for a few hours a week, as opposed to sending to daycare. And our number one criteria was that our nanny be a Spanish speaker, um, a native Spanish speaker. You know, my wife and I are both not native Spanish speakers, so we wanted to have that Spanish input. Uh, and apart from that, um, I think we're living in a really amazing age right now. I think 10 years ago to get movies and books in Spanish was a lot more complicated. Mm -hmm. um, but now Netflix is amazing. Netflix has 10 different languages for all of the shows that Netflix produces. Um, our local public library has a lot of resources for kids in Spanish. Um, we just got audiobooks in Spanish. Harry Potter is a really big thing in my house right now. Um, and it's occupied some really long road trips. You just listen to Harry Potter in Spanish and my daughter really likes it. So, so we have really worked to try and find resources outside the house. So I think you said you guys uh, hire a bilingual nanny and you said Maya's four right now, correct? Correct. So is there any possibility that you guys could send her to a bilingual school or maybe like an after school Spanish speaking program? Yeah, so that's our dream. Um, <laughs> that is not really available in our area. And that's part of the reason we made the language choices we did, right? We know that she'll go to school in English she'll go to basically her her whole world around here will be in English so if we want her to be bilingual 
we have to push the Spanish at this stage. Um, I should say that, you know, there are a group of uh, Spanish speaking families in the area and they have started um, sort of a weekend school, Mi Escuelita, and that started just before the pandemic hit. So it's on hold a little bit, but it was, you know, it's an opportunity to get kids together with other kids who speak Spanish in the home. And they work on things like letters and sounds and reading in that particular language. Um, I think it's a good initiative. So when those things aren't available in your community, you might be able to find enough parents around to create a pod or to create a, a group that, that pushes that forward. Can you dis- describe a little bit more detail Maya's current language proficiency and dominance and how that's changed, if at all? Yeah. Um, so Maya, I would describe currently as Spanish dominant. She prefers Spanish. So like when we read books at night, we have books that are in English. We have books that are in Spanish. And she'll say, she'll even pull an English book off the shelf and say, read it to me, but in Spanish. Um, when net, when watching Netflix, if the show starts in English, she'll stop it and say, papa, papa, me lo cambias. Will you change it for me? Like, I want to listen to it in Spanish. So she's definitely Spanish dominant right now. Oh my gosh. Um, Translating books on the fly is so hard. I don't know it how much. <laughs> it is really hard. It is really I try hard. To do it, I'm like, oh, I'll just like read this English book in Spanish. And it's like, oh my God, how do I say pitter patter? Like, right. And as a side note, there are a lot of English books that rhyme. Yeah. But when you get down to the meaning of them, they don't make any sense at all. So you're translating, but you're translating this thing that rhymes, but in Spanish, it's not going to rhyme. But then the story doesn't make any sense really complicated so guys i would just make it up in the other language most of the time because my husband reads to my kids in french there was a point in which my son was just like wait 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 this is not how daddy tells me the story what's wrong like who's lying yeah and kids are really good at remembering like word for word what you said the last time you read it so um and and has that changed at all has she been pretty consistently spanish dominant um, I would say she's always been Spanish dominant, but the degree of Spanish dominance has changed. When she was really little, um, she was almost exclusively a Spanish speaker. My parents don't speak any Spanish. So when my parents would come, I think it was a little hard for my parents because they felt like they couldn't have this connection with her. And I think it was a little hard for Maya because when you're two, you just, anybody who's taller than you, you can ask them for things. And my parents didn't understand what she was asking for a lot of the time. Um, now I think that she's like, her English is, is quite good. Um, you know, we have a rule that when you're at the dinner table, everybody has to say that they're done before everybody can get down from the dinner table. And so she'll go around the table and she'll ask me in Spanish, she'll ask my wife in Spanish, she'll ask my dad in English, she'll ask my mom in English. And then she'll say in both languages that she's finished and then we'll all get down from the table. So now she's, she's at the point where she knows which language to use with which person in which context. Well, that sounds amazing. I hope that one day Victoria gets to a point where she won't just like stand up in her chair and be like, well, this time this is over. (laughs) It will come, Lauren, and you'll hate it because they won't shut up (laughs) in their language. (laughs) So you mentioned a little bit before how uh, Maya kind of noticed who was speaking to her in Spanish or in English, or she's already kind of figured out who to talk to in each language. So I'm curious, um, how would you describe your children's attitude towards bilingualism? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. So we as a family often use phrases like, well, our fam- family is bilingual. We just sort of say it like that's the matter of fact. She definitely prefers Spanish. And there are cases, you know, in the midst of 
a bit of a struggle if I say like, oh, Maya, please come on and do whatever. She'll say, no me hables in English. Don't talk to me in English. <laughs> and so there, there is some sort of struggle over the language choice at times. Um, but I think for the most part, she is happy to be dominant in Spanish, but she knows when she's in school or when she's out in public or whatever, that English will be her default. Is there anything from your research and personal experiences that have kind of informed each other? Has having kids changed how you view your research or vice versa? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. So my research, one of my areas of research is specifically on language switching. Uh, in linguistics, we call this code switching. So this is when you use two languages within the same conversation or within the same sentence or whatever. And that with a four-year-old who is bilingual is my life, right? Like we have lots of back and forth between the languages. She does lots of code switching. And one of the things that I think is really worthwhile to think about is you know, we have this sort of public opinion of language switching as it's not a good thing, right? So like, oh, you switch languages because you don't know that word in your other language and let me teach it to you. Mm -hmm. But we know from all of the research, there's a huge body of research out there that shows you that language switching is really systematic. It is rule-based and it's really socially sophisticated, right? So uh, people switch languages for emphasis, for quotation, for solidarity, for you know a whole bunch of different reasons. And that has helped me in raising my daughter because I know to expect her to switch languages. It's really natural. And I know that it, it doesn't, it's not really a commentary on how well I'm raising her in one language or the other, right? In my house, like a lot of language switching is driven by recency. So we've been talking about Harry Potter. Her grandmother used the word magic wand. And so now magic wand is what we say instead of barrita magica it makes sense she's four she's sort of processing all this input and it's okay to switch back and forth between languages um and i think you even you this sort of negative perspective you often see even in the words that people use so they call it spanglish or um, in spanish you hear it called pocho like rotten that your speech isn't good and you mix too much but it's really sort of a systematic sophisticated way of communicating mm -hmm. she has she started to switch more now or has she always like co-switch the same amount yeah i think that she is switching more now because she's getting more sort of ambient input in spanish right when she was two we were really able to control the, the input that she got right but now mm -hmm. you know she talks to friends she talks to her grandparents and that a lot of that happens in english so that mm -hmm. generates those english code switches in right. spanish it's interesting because it's the same for me too. Like in the past year or so, my son has started to co-switch way more often. And it's really interesting. He didn't do that before. He always kept this thing, which is separate. And I just celebrate that for sure. But I, I found it interesting. So I wanted to see if that was the case for you too. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, in, to some degree, it's a function of dominance. So as they become more dominant in two languages, they're more likely to switch. And it's an, also a function of this idea of social sophistication. Like for Maya, when she's, when she's role-playing, she knows who speaks English, who speaks Spanish, and she can even role play the kid in the classroom who is the translator between the English speaking and the Spanish speaking kid, right? So, so she's aware of these language patterns and she kind of uses switching as an extra resource in her language. So on that note of co-switching, I'm just gonna go, go ahead and ask you, what is the funniest co-switch she's ever done? I, so let me say, I don't know if I would call this a code switch, but the other day, so she is currently in um, an online Montessori program. 
about an hour every morning. It's predominantly in English. And the other day they had a letter test, which wasn't a test. It was presented as a fun conversation one-on-one -on -one with the teacher. The teacher would show them letters and she would say what sounds that letter makes, which is complicated to begin with because we at home talk about letters and their sounds in Spanish. At school, they talk about letters and their sounds in English. And the teacher showed her the letter R and Maya said, that makes the sound <laughs> So, oh, you, you're really good at rolling your R's. That's awesome. Good for her. There you go. She can read and write in Spanish a little bit. She is just, so she's working on her letters. She's at like the three or four letter word stage. Um, she's getting there. But, you know, in this Montessori program, they do the letters in English. At home, we do the letters in Spanish. And so there is some sort of mix up. She's starting to read these sort of really small, short books. But you see sometimes she'll use sounds she'll use sounds from both languages when trying to, to sound out a word um, but it's still really early and we kind of expect yeah. all these things to happen so we know that this is this is the case right so just kind of as a conclusion um do you have any uh, recommendations or anything any tips for parents who are in a similar situation trying to raise their kids bilingual yeah so i think one of the things that has been important for me both as a researcher and as a parent is this idea that there is really no standard version of the language right so there are a whole lot of different varieties of language and they're all equally valid so you know i have some sort of grammar teacher inside of me who when i hear my daughter say um breaked instead of broke the equivalent in Spanish, he regularizes things. I want to go, <gasps> but we know that that's natural, right? And we know that, you know, everybody speaks a little bit different and I wouldn't really worry about it at this stage, right? You know, just let them sort of enjoy the languages and, and develop as they're naturally going to develop. And in the end, they'll become competent speakers of whatever language that they're, they're hearing. Just kind of relax a little bit, I guess. Yeah, which is, <laughs> It's not in my nature to be very relaxed. Like I am like a scientific, quantitative oriented psycholinguistic researcher and yeah. kids do not fit in with that sort of really rigid paradigm. So they uh, do not. I think the only thing I've learned is uh, input is super important. And for me, because it's trilingualism at this point, he's getting maybe 25, 30% Spanish, and you can already see there's certain things that are not gonna stick mm -hmm. because you don't, he doesn't get enough of that. So I'm just, I'm not, you're not gonna be frustrated. I'm just gonna celebrate the fact that he can communicate in Spanish, but like uh, his, um, the placement of his um, critics is off because of French. They're the yeah. opposite. And that has been something that hasn't changed for months now. So in other words, in Spain, he's doing it better, but it's not consistent. So I'm just like, oh, like I wanna be like, know how it works right. <laughs> like, yeah whatever. i let my family correct him and then i just tell them it's okay feedback is not going to help at this age for sure do it <laughs> yeah we do a lot of like well, Lori does a lot of modeling right so when it's like a subjunctive indicative error then Lori will reframe it in the subjunctive so about this idea of, of input so in terms of what tips or resources that might be useful there is research that shows that you know input is one of the the most key components of how children develop language. Um, but there's been some really good work that starts to show the role of a child's network. So one of the big predictors in 
whether your child will maintain a language, you know, as an adult or not, is how many people they interact with in that language outside the home. So one of the things that we've tried to do is, is kind of cultivate these Spanish speaking networks for our daughter. And there are other families who are looking for the same thing in this area. So the idea of like uh, Spanish speaking kids play date. So, you know, just this idea of expanding the number of people with whom that they, with whom they interact in, in that language is one way to make sure, even if they're short interactions, even if they're sort of essentially to us inconsequential, the idea of building this network or community in which that language is relevant is really important. Yeah, it seems like especially having peers that you can speak to in whatever sure. language makes a big difference. For sure. And yeah. we've kind of we've kind of taken the approach that we're our goal is to give her the building blocks. And if she were to choose to use Spanish in the future, then we have prepared her to do that. But you know, if she's 10 years old and says, I never want to speak Spanish at home that's probably fine, right? You know, we know there's research, there's really good research that shows that, you know, exposing a child to a particular language, even before the age of one, and then they never hear that language again, if they're forced to learn that language when they're 25 years old, they have an advantage over people who have never heard that language. So right. this early input, it sticks in their brain someplace, in some way, and that you know, that's what we're trying to give her, the option to use Spanish in the future, should she choose it. Yeah, what a wonderful gift. Seriously, I, I admire you and your wife because I don't know that I would be able to do this if I wasn't like living in the U.S. or, and I had studied English. It's so hard to switch the whole dynamics of your household when you have children. So I commend you for that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It is, it's hard, but, um, but I think it's doable for people who are, who are really interested in it. Uh, my last note was about the idea of like the intersection of class and bilingualism. Have you guys talked about this? No, no, no. So another one of the things that research has often shown is how different families' attitudes towards bilingualism differ. And at least in a couple of studies, you see this intersection of class and bilingualism in which upper class families tend to value bilingualism more and they try to provide these opportunities for the children to you know, use both the home language and the community language, et cetera. Whereas families from a lower socioeconomic status tend to prefer the majority language. So in the United States, you would be pushing your children to learn English um, because the perspective is that's the language that's really going to help them get ahead. So you see this division between just the attitudes towards bilingualism that depends on class. Uh, but research shows us that being bilingual it results in statistically a higher salary, results in better grades in school, higher standardized test scores, even things like it delays the onset of Alzheimer's when you're, when you're aging. Um, so I think it's really important to, to sort of stand firm with this idea that bilingualism isn't going to harm your children in any way. And in fact, there's mountains of research that shows that it's just going to be a benefit in the future. So. I'd like to see that this intersection with class sort of disappear and we as a society say bilingualism is something that we should value for everybody. Yeah. Unfortunately, that stigma still exists. Yeah. For some people. Yeah, for sure. And I think like you see it in the news and you see it in a lot of different places, but sort of a space like this is a place to push that message. And so I think maybe we're preaching to the choir and all of your listeners already <laughs> think that bilingualism is great, but um, 
but I think it's important to know like there it's just a benefit down the road yeah for sure so we're going to leave it there for today but we'll be back next week with another episode uh thanks again Dan for talking to us it was a pleasure thank you guys very much for having me hasta luego ciao ever have questions for us or questions about the podcast, go to home and our website at www.multilingualmamaspodcast.com and click on the link for questions. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and stay tuned for another episode of Multilingual Mamas.